This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hi guys, welcome to episode two of The Female Gaze. Thank you so much for joining us. Just a little trigger warning for this episode. Uh, This episode is on uh, Asian hate crime and there'll be discussions of anti-Asian violence in this episode. Um, and discussions of recent events and affairs. If you listen at your own kind of pace and um, as much as you feel comfortable with, there's there's no pressure. And if it's not the one for you, then don't worry about it. But yeah, enjoy the rest of the episode. guys welcome back to season two episode two of the female gaze um lauren and i are today doing an episode that is super super kind of close to my heart and an episode uh that i've been wanting to do for quite a while and i've we've spoken about the importance of intersectional feminism in previous episodes and kind of how that um is something that needs to be discussed and particularly needs to be discussed in our experiences at Durham as well um and the circumstances of which this episode has kind of arisen are not ideal um to be honest they're they're incredibly upsetting and um in after we had kind of shortly finished recording for season one we saw a huge kind of almost explosion and um, sort of climax in in the hate being directed against Asians in in the US, but also kind of across the pond uh, in the UK as well. Um, And it kind of can't go without saying that what happened in Atlanta, um, what happened with the shooting of of six Asian women um, was the worst mass killing in the US since 2019 um, and has drawn long, long overdue attention to the rising wave that we are seeing of physical assault, racial slurs and and verbal abuse that the Asian communities in in the US, but also across the globe have been facing in in the past year, um, tenfold due to the pandemic. Um, And so this is a super, super important episode. And I just wanna say that um, to whoever's listening um, or to any kind of Asian diasporic communities who are listening right now, our hearts are with you um, and we are absolutely here for you. Um, in saying that as well, we've got a super, super exciting episode because we are joined by some of the members of Mixsock, um, Durham's newly formed society. Um, and we are joined by Hannah Fuji Bennett, president of Mixsock. Hey, Hannah, a well-loved veteran of the female gaze. Yeah, she's back. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. No worries, we love having you. Um, We've got Emma Ferguson, who is publicity officer of Nixstock as well. Hello, Emma. Hi. Thank you, thank you for joining us. And we've also got Hannah Moore, who is secretary for Nixstock and is the ethnic minority rep for Cuffs and is also involved in Cuffs' anti-racism society. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Um, Recently, I actually, so I, I found out, or this sounds so weird we're in such a weird generation but I found out about um Hannah through mixed sock this is Hannah Moore and Hannah is similar to me she is half (laughs) English but half Chinese Malaysian which is kind of a big deal in Durham (laughs) yeah I've only met one other person and I kind of I lost my shit because I was like oh my god someone else exists so you're now the second person I know who is the same as me so wow (laughs) it's such just a euphoric moment of like oh god this person who's kind of caught in this weird this weird threshold of of, um, (laughs) strange strange identities um but yeah we are so so excited and really really kind of grateful that you guys have come on today um so thank you thank you so much yeah Um, absolutely um it's a it's a privilege to have you guys involved in this episode well tradition still still reigns so we need to do a little bit of our um old haunt women of the week or person of the week um does anyone want to start us off and kind of speak about any individual this week who's um maybe jumped to mind or has done some some cool or inspiring things um so I think 
I had the same thing going on last time when I came onto the female gaze where I just couldn't decide um, on my woman of the week just because there are so many inspirational women every week who I just really want to shout out. But this week in particular, um, I want to um, I want to bring up the name um, Tori Sui, who is an environmental activist who I've been following for um, quite a while now. Um, she posts really um, insightful information about, you know, intersectional environmentalism and activism. And um, she um, brought up this discussion about um, the documentary that has been gaining some acclaim recently, Seaspiracy, and kind of the, you know, cultural nuances of the way that Asians have been portrayed in the documentary. And I felt like it was just a very important thing for her, especially to bring up to the community because, um, because of everything that has been going on with you know, violence against you know, people of the Asian diaspora around the world. And coming from a person who herself is an environmental activist. And so talking about the way that even though the message of the documentary is aligned with everything that we're working towards in you know raising awareness about our oceans and the kind of destruction that has been going on um the importance of doing so in a way that's respectful and sensitive which i think was really impactful and so i just really admired that yeah that's a really really great example of um a one of the week and a really interesting kind of take on um, things as well because i think um people can be very quick to to jump to conclusions about things being wrong or right or presentations of of things being kind of factual because they are so mainstream um and yeah it's a really important nuance to that i think chloe who's your woman of the week yeah, I'll, I'll go for it um so my one of the week is um kathy park kong who is one of my favorite poets um and I think, yeah, obviously in times of distress, we kind of seek out our, our home comforts and, and things that, um, yeah, things that sort of make us feel more comfortable And poetry always has been kind of a, an outlet um, for that for me. And, and she's, she's a wonderful um, Korean American poet. Um, and she's actually just done a really, really sick podcast episode um, with Sway, I believe. Um, and uh in the episode she kind of talks about things like the minority myth and kind of talks about how um race has almost become and she used the term the oppression olympics um where almost because of the way it's been kind of generated or represented in social media you you have sort of a like a hierarchy or like a, a scale going on of like white people are the least oppressed um, and then black people at the bottom are the most oppressed and then you've kind of got like Asian Americans sort of in the bottom of the totem pole right above white Americans um, where they've almost internalized that racism um, and, and it comes from a white supremacist system um, that is being lived in and um, Asian Americans have been used as a minority who uh, are examples of proof that American exceptionalism, which is something that, you know, I think we've spoken about before, is kind of so, so problematic. Um, it's proof that American exceptionalism works because you have people immigrating to the country and then you have people going on to be very, very successful as, as doctors or going to Harvard and going to Yale and then they end up getting pitted against black and brown Americans um, and compared unfavorably. Um, and what it does is it ends up isolating um, Asian Americans from um, other Americans or other other people of color, it kind of prevents an allyship that, that's going on. Um, and it was a super, super um, informative episode. And it had a really kind of great insight over like the various sort of exclusion acts um, that uh, America's implemented from pretty much the 19th century um, up until till the present day. And, you know, although it, it um, did speak about um, these events being rooted in America, these issues are still things that are incredibly incredibly prevalent in the UK you know things like the minority myth things like fetishization things like kind of um isolating us from other communities of color are still things that like take fold um here and I would definitely definitely recommend it or uh, recommend um her collection of essays that have just been released 
that are called Minor Feelings, um, an Asian American Reckoning. Um, yeah, big, big love. Um, Lauren, well, who is your uh, woman of the week? Um, I've actually got two this week and one of them is kind of further away from home and one of them is, is slightly closer to home. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first is Tandy Wayne Newton, the actress um, who has come out this week kind of reclaiming her name, which I thought was um, a really a really fascinating story, but also I think might lead into other things that we'll talk about later on today, um, in that she'd kind of a director very early on in her career had put her down on the credits as Tandy Newton and kind of like anglicized her name um, and almost stripped her of her kind of culture. She's, uh, her parents are originally from Zimbabwe. Um, and yeah, so she's kind of come forward and said she's taking back what's hers and will be known kind of in credits and everything from now on professionally as her original kind of given name, which I, I just, it, it amazes me that one, these things kind of still happen even to such public big kind of, she's a, she's a global movie star um, and she's still gone through somebody not being able to pronounce her name properly and not, not giving her her proper name just to kind of make it so-called easier. Um, so I was, yeah, I was really impressed by that and I, I think it's a really interesting story. Um, but my second woman of the week is actually a guest on this podcast today, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to shout out Hannah Fuji Bennett because I think the work that Hannah does, <laughs> the work that Hannah does consistently as part of FemSoc and as part of our kind of wider uh, university and college communities, but particularly with MixSoc has been incredible. And she's, she's making a space for people where they feel like they can be heard and, and seen. And I just have this um, memory of the other episode that Hannah was on of our podcast actually, which was about body image. And um, on the episode, we had a conversation about how representation matters and about how it's so important for people to see role models or to see people in the media or, or just in general, like everywhere that look like them and, and sound like them and are people that they can identify with. And I think Hannah is that person for so many people in Durham. And I also think she is making a platform to be that person for lots of new students coming up and looking to Darwin and saying, can I fit in here? Can I come here? Is this a place for me? And I, I think that's incredible. And I, she inspires me a lot um, every day, almost I see something that she's put on social media that I sit and think about and, and really process. And yeah, I think if you're someone who we know from Durham or somebody who I know from Durham, but possibly doesn't know Hannah, uh, get to know Hannah, she's amazing. Um, but yeah, just in general, I think she she always could be a woman of the week for, for me. I think she's an incredible person. Oh, we love that. We love, yeah, uplifting other people. In this so podcast. sweet. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Um, I remember Hannah setting up Mixsock or like in the kind of like bureaucracy of trying to set up Mixsock last year. Um, and just the, the amount that the society has grown and, and the kind of following and community that has been built since then um it's just so impressive and it's it's so important yeah it's so important to be able to kind of see yourself represented as as you guys have been saying so um yeah here's to the space for the mixed race third culture and multi-ethnic individuals um in Durham because there absolutely needs to be one um so thank you for setting this up Hannah um I was gonna say um since we were talking about mixed I thought it'd be really lovely to kind of ask or talk to you guys or talk to Hannah as well about um yeah there's sort of origins and the creations of Mixsock and um maybe what uh prompted you to to start up the society um mm-hmm. you could speak a little bit about that that'd be amazing well yeah basically it was just wanting to create a community that yeah it just kind of encompasses like a lot yeah yeah so it's not just mixed race it's mixed yeah. cultural identities and that's part of the thing that's part of the reasons that I had a lot of trouble with the bureaucracy and getting it started because I needed to have clear identifiable features that made this society distinct from the others you know what I mean mm-hmm. so that was a huge challenge and I had to do a lot of like soul searching and yeah like what defines you know what I want this society to be and I suppose we're still creating mm-hmm. it right now and it can only you know it's a continuing growing process I think 
but I'm happy with the way it's going so far. I remember the way I met Hannah was actually um, we both play the flute, um, mm-hmm. so both at concert band together, and I remember thinking, oh, she looks like a bit mixed as well, and I think. I don't even know how we came to talk about it, but I just remember one day we were just kind of like almost like ranting about how difficult it was in terms of, you know, giving a name to this feeling of just what am I? I think I remember uh, Hannah telling me about, you know, all these places she's lived and just being like, God, I think my experience is bad. Like, this is crazy. Like, there's so many different places you're from. And I think this just kind of, was such an incentive as to why we needed a society like this just so people could talk about this because it's something I never really thought about before it was just always something that I remember thinking oh yeah mixed fun but (laughs) but you never really think about kind of the material experiences whatever um that being mixed gives Mm. so yeah (laughs) Yeah, so it's a platform to like talk and share, I think. Mm. I think um, the interesting thing you sort of raised there, Hannah, is uh, this like its unique nature, because you're right, there are lots of kind of other societies that are, that have kind of one solid cultural identity, let's say, that so they're representing a certain culture, but, but Mixoc, from an outsider's perspective, does something very special in, in bringing lots of different people together who've had very, very different experiences. Am I sort of right in saying that? Yeah, definitely. It's a mixture and a kind of catchphrase that we use within our society is identity crisis. And that's kind of you know what defines us as a community, this constant searching for identity and a sense of stability in who we are. Yeah, something that I felt like the national, like the nationality societies didn't really provide was, I thought that most of the friends I ended up making were other people of color from other nationalities. And I felt like if I just joined, for example, Chinese sock, I couldn't have that experience. So that's something mixed sock does that I feel like is very important. Like not just one nationality, but people from lots of different backgrounds. Mm. I remember my um the fresh affair so when I was like what week one into Durham going around seeing all these like nationalities um so like as mentioned before I'm um half British and kind of half (laughs) kind of I am half Chinese (laughs) Malaysian so I remember seeing the Malaysian society and thinking oh well I'm not really Malaysian and then going to the Chinese societies or one of them uh, and thinking oh I'm not really that either so it was definitely necessary for something to kind of um, appeal to the kind of mixed mush I suppose (laughs) that a lot of mixed people will feel. Definitely it's very uh, empowering hearing you guys talk about that kind of sense of finding a belonging almost in in that search for identity I guess. Mm, Yeah yeah, definitely. I don't know, as like a way to kind of tie this idea of identity and belonging into the conversation of the Asian diaspora um, of today's episode. um, I feel like so much of the hate and hostility that we've been seeing directed towards Asians have been Asians who are outside of their of their continent, outside of their Asian, you know, country, whether it be in the US or in um, the UK. And this is kind of the issue here isn't it like being displaced and not and being surrounded in an environment that you so want so badly want to like you know fit into and integrate in but won't allow for it if that makes sense mm-hmm. be it through like microaggressions or downright acts of violence like we've been seeing yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and obviously ties very kind of neatly onto the wider discussion of this episode yeah, you're absolutely right, Hannah, in in the kind of the Asian diasporic communities that are suffering trying to kind of accommodate themselves in um in in Western nations. So even post the um Atlanta shootings, we're still seeing um huge amounts of kind of disgraceful violence. So some examples are um an 84-year-old Thai immigrant in California died last month after being violently shoved to the ground. Um, in California, a 91-year-old senior was shoved to the 
pavement. An 89-year-old Chinese woman was slapped and set on fire by two people in New York. Um, in, as in New York again, a 61-year-old Filipino um, American passenger's face was um, cut with a box cutter. And it just, it really is such a horrendous kind of um, manifestation of not not kind of being accepted into a community where often families or individuals have kind of gone gone with and they've gone with the utmost kind of grace and um gentility and um looking to be accepted and the reaction to that is horrendous uh and i i mean i'm sure you guys felt the same but but kind of seeing what came out on the news when it did um when we saw these the effect of, of the spa parlors um and the effect of these killings it was it wasn't a position of surprise that i was in it wasn't a position of like oh my god this is this has never happened before and i could never imagine this happening which almost made the process and the grieving process so much worse because it was something that either like I had heard about or you could just you know you've always got stories of family or family members and especially elder family members and you know we know how important it is to kind of respect and take care of our elders in the Asian community you know like <laughs> they're yeah they are our hearts and to just kind of see that out there um it was it was horrendous and it was kind of on the one hand I was I was so incredibly angry and frustrated and um particularly sort of uh upset because political leaders have not been doing enough to kind of support these communities particularly in times of stress so um covid has been called before this, this sort of stress test um in terms of the way that uh we end up treating minority communities and in terms of how they often you know, in terms of kind of gender, in terms of ethnicity and nationality, these are the communities that suffer. And I was so upset that, you know, this is something that could have been handled so much better. Um, but because of political leaders like Trump calling COVID, you know, the, the Kung Fu virus and the Chinese virus, you are literally seeing repercussions. You're literally seeing on days where he goes out and he says these racial slurs people going out into New York and committing these hate crimes. I read somewhere that on, on one day, on the 23rd of March, I think, um, when he was trying to, trying to compensate for what had happened. And he said, we need to protect these Asian communities. On that one day where Trump stood back and said, okay, no, 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 I'm not gonna use this racist rhetoric. There were no recorded hate crimes that day. And so it, it's, it's so important that the language we're using and, and the kind of um, ways that, we're navigating and where we're positioning um, ourselves and where we're positioning blame because it, you know it shouldn't, blame shouldn't even be something that is positioned. Um, but I, I was kind of wondering if you guys could maybe talk about your experiences or, or what, what it was like when this, this stuff hit the news. Um, and I say hit the news because obviously it's been something that's been happening um, in the, in, on the backbone, but not something that has been necessarily reported on um, in sort of, uh, normative media. I think you're so right to say that it's been happening but it hasn't been reported on because what I felt when um, sort of COVID happened and finally Asian hate crimes were getting news attention was this has been happening to people I know and fortunately not to me but to people close to me for so long and no one has really like cared about it enough to talk about it. And finally, now that COVID has happened, even though hate crimes are rising, they're finally getting attention, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it, why has it had to come to such a, such a climax point um, in order for this to be recognized? Um, yeah, and, and even kind of, the horrendous sort of part of that being the, the amount of like Asian carers who are on the front lines working um, in, in hospitals or, you know, as mothers who are feeling the brunt of, of what is happening now um, is, is just a twofold kind of uh, suffering as well, which is just really, yeah, 
it's not really acceptable to be honest um you raised there as well Chloe I just thought that would be worth picking up on whilst we're kind of around the topic you raised the bit about Trump and how like the day he said this is not okay nothing happened and it it's so incredibly important that people take from that how much responsibility comes with a platform mm-hmm. um uh, because I think like you said like it it what it takes people being brave enough to say this is happening please somebody wake up and see this is happening but also that like you can influence people so Im- easily nowadays I mean we spoke about this on previous episodes as well but like your opinion if you've got those platforms your opinion matters and you standing up and saying things matters because it, it genuinely has such a like a consequential knock-on effect I think that is huge mm-hmm. absolutely um I think yeah there's a lot of kind of and we actually you guys spoke about this in, in the really wonderful um well, Mixoc held a really, really wonderful vigil um, I, uh, two weeks ago for uh, for us to all kind of get together and, and grieve and speak about what happened to those women and also kind of speak about um, any questions people had on, on how to uh, sort of help out Asian communities at the moment. And I think one of the questions was, you know, what do we think about um, performativity on, on social media um, and kind of, you know, trying to bridge bridge that sort of gap between um, putting out information um, and putting it out into the wider world but also is there an aspect of it of you know a, a almost cancel culture type thing if I don't post this if I don't tweet or at, at this you know am I mm. um, so they're in, they're in an interesting dialogue I think um, but I do think like if you're circulating information you know there's going to be someone out there hopefully who is going to take that um genuinely and who's going to really take it on themselves to educate themselves read up on the topic speak to other people and hopefully that will have a um yeah ripple effect because you know the, the brunt of, of action should not always be on the communities who are suffering like it should no. not be us who are out here and people coming up to us going like what can i do like like come on yeah it's not it's not your responsibility to like have to teach people because that in itself is like a another load yeah another weight that is unnecessary and unfair that's the thing it's like balancing balancing your own kind of personal relationship with that I think particularly if you are one of the parties let's say who is kind of in in the oppressed category in the in the conversation that you're having I think it's balancing your own like need to share those things but also not exhaust yourself with having to try and babysit other people through them I guess mm-hmm. um which can be and also if you're one of the people who knows what it feels like to, to have those let's say kind of har- harassments and things happen to you it can be exhausting to have to see that play out and play out and play out and play out for other people to learn if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly um you don't want to relive your trauma all the time yeah and it, yeah we, we we don't owe it to anyone to to have to have to do that um literally there's so many instagram accounts and everything like go on your phone like stop asking me <laughs> yeah it's like pointing you can point people in in directions but you don't have to hold their hand and and try and explain like make your experience explainable to them if that makes sense yeah and sometimes it genuinely is just tiring I think everyone who is perhaps uh, Asian will kind of understand this you know when you're being like when you're the face of the oppressed in this situation people will kind of look to you and obviously ask okay how can we fix this and whatnot but even just seeing you know on Instagram or social media um there's so many infographics so much news it's a little bit tiring it's kind of this constant reminder that this is the world you're living in and this is always going to be happening and it just makes you want to shut off I literally had to kind of log out of Instagram for a bit because I was just tired and it wasn't I think when I saw in the news that um there was these shootings in Atlanta my first reaction was just oh for god's sake this still happening this is awful 
I don't want to talk to anyone about this because I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating because you kind of feel, well, I don't know, this is how I felt, but I felt a little bit like a bad person. I wasn't engaging with this, this discourse around um, anti-Asian hate as much as I could be. But because I was so tired of seeing this happening, I just I just wanted to retreat. Mm-hmm. So it has such a physical impact on how you want to engage with the world around you. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just exhausting. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in summary then, like what I think the, the overwhelming points that we're trying to make here is that like as as the oppressed party, you can engage with that how you want to in a way that prioritizes yourself and your own kind of mental well-being and stuff like that. But as as somebody from the outside, it's our responsibility to go and do that learning for ourselves. And and we shouldn't have like we shouldn't rely on our female friends or our Asian friends or anybody else in different situations to teach us those things. We we have to take those cues to go and, and do better for ourselves and and to make changes I guess yeah and just like just check in like even little things like hey like how are you doing or like you know just asking someone asking your you know Asian friends like how are you you know getting those messages like that Mm. that's enough and kind of um valuing people's personal um well-being instead of um looking to them for any kind of definitive definitive answers um I thought we could also kind of talk about, so we've spoken about what's what's happened in the US um, and American essentialism and kind of anti-American hate. Um, And I don't like, I don't know if this is something you guys have experienced, but like, it's definitely something I've experienced where I've sort of heard, even from my dad, who's who's white and has gone, oh, like, of course this would happen in America. Like, (laughs) you know, race relations in America they're just like this this is just you know it that's just the kind of country it is and I just it's not the case it's not the case at all and it, it frustrates me so much that we again do this thing of pitting like us and then them self and then other of um you know us being the civil nation and then the other nation being like the uncivilized um undemocratic place when you literally just need to look at the UK's recent commission on race and ethnic disparities that found that Britain should be seen as a model for other white majority countries and that apparently (laughs) structural racism was too liberally used um, and all kinds of just absolute nonsense that I sat there reading it I remember tweeting Lauren. I was like, "What?" I was like, "No, shine down Twitter." I actually, this is this is. April. I was just, I was just gonna say, I, I'm scrolling back because I remember you sending it to me um, on Twitter. I was just trying to see the conversation we had about it then, because I think they used the term white discrimination with yeah. that passage, <laughs> which is just. I like so disturbing that that's on an official government report that like they'd even even the notion uh, is is completely disturbing. It's it was very gaslighting. E that's not a word, but I mean, you know it, what it, I mean. Yeah, no, it, it will be coined coined a word in response to this report, probably. Um. <laughs> it was. It's yeah. It's it's not a good read. Um, no, it just goes to show how kind of out of touch they are. Like, mm-hmm. and. One of the things that has been really kind of, um, I don't know, like almost cathartic about, you know, this kind of um, movement um, of, you know, online discourse about these topics about racism um, in in the UK as well as the US or just, you know, anywhere has been um, people are starting to reflect on the kinds of, you know, microaggressions and you know instances that we have just kind of looked past in the in the you know looked over in the past mm-hmm. so whether they be like you know really racist portrayals of Asians in like you know the media or um celebrities who have you know done really problematic things and things before um this increased discourse has been in a way like almost you know um empowering I think mm-hmm. and so just I feel like there's just such a need for, you know, this newfound ability to like, 
spread awareness and think critically and look critically at what we've been engaging with till now. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're so right in, yeah, almost throwing out of, throwing out of the park completely um, the narratives that we're being fed because it's it's just been shown to us how ridiculous those narratives are. Um, and as someone who's like, you know, seen these portrayals of Asians on the media and felt that kind of like that feeling of you know shame and humiliation um people being able to like identify these things that I have not been able to identify before as being hurtful um has been you know really nice in a way what do we think about the representations of women um as you said Hannah in in the media or film or kind of like circulation of Asian women being very much the hardworking, studious Asian woman who pops up in like the background of Mean Girls for some kind of racial stereotype she can fulfill. Um, yeah, hypersexualized sex dolls. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have any like experiences or kind of responses to maybe any anything they've consumed there? Well, I mean, I can name so many, mm-hmm. like in media that, you know, like I mentioned before that we just haven't even really kind of, you know, acknowledged before that actually, yeah, this is a really racist portrayal that's really problematic. So for instance, you know, um, there's this musical, for instance, Miss Saigon. And um, I've been listening to that, you know, cast recording from Broadway since I was like, you know, 14 and I loved it. But there was always something about it that just kind of made me a bit uncomfortable. And now I'm finally able to identify that as being, oh, you know, this portrayal of this, um, you know, oppressed, weak, vulnerable, delicate um, Vietnamese woman who is like, you know, completely in the hands of this American GI. And it's just like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so uncomfortable. These little portrayals about that we see about Asians around the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're kind of figuring out why. Miss, Sa- Miss Saigon's a really interesting one there, actually, Hannah, because I, I hadn't even which is obviously naive of me, but I hadn't particularly considered that until you brought it up. And there's also a, a large element of kind of white saviorism to, to that story as well. Sure. In the kind of Kim, the, the kind of lead character who is the Vietnamese woman dies and her child is kind of taken by his American father and American stepmother. And that's kind of all glossed over rather and it's very romanticized. Yeah, know? incredibly. Yeah. And it's also written by white men, which yeah. <laughs> in itself problematic. We'll do it. You know what I've uh, thought was interesting? Um, I sent this video actually to Hannah um, and one of my favorite YouTubers, people, whoever, Try Guys, um, Eugene, did an amazing documentary. Um, yeah, it was so good. Um, on anti-Asian hate and I'd never thought about uh, the portrayal of Asians really in terms of you know what this kind of wider significance etc etc is in terms of Mulan mm-hmm. Mulan oh my god that's me wow so exciting we are so eager to like like it because that's mm-hmm. much representation as we're ever going to get yeah. even if that's with a pinch of salt But all of these narratives um, in these kind of characters, they all revolve around this very kind of old idea of honour, you know, and filial duty and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, (laughs) we are still humans. We still have the ability to be stupid just because we have been kind of raised onto a pedestal of being a model minority doesn't mean that all of the representations we have need to be that as well. Because, you know, it's very damaging. I mean, this is going on to the model minority a little bit, but it's damaging to think that all Chinese people, all Asian people are all this one type of, you know, kind of monolithic and kind of repeating over time. I think in this documentary, Eugene just shows so many clips of this same storyline with um, Asian actors and Asian stories and films. But, you know we're still human we have we are rubbish at things sometimes like I don't know why that's so hard to portray 
I can barely think of any kind of serious, normal kind of portrayals of Chinese people um, in film, apart from the odd one. But that got me thinking just how kind of desperate you can be as an uh, Asian person just to have anything. And I think Mulan is a kind of a good example of that. As much as I, I loved the film, um, it's still kind of something we kind of grasp onto and we have to be thankful for because it's it's the only thing there is. It's also very like telling that all these films like Mulan and Crazy Rich Asians do very poorly in Asian countries. Mm. So that Asian people don't feel like that's something they want to see, I think is very important. Obviously, Asian people in Asian countries are different from Asians in the West, but I think it's really telling that they don't do well in Asia. I come back to that that quote from Hannah from the other episode again as well about the about representation mattering because it's almost um, like you said there's these kind of like sensationalized presentations but there's nothing there's no authentic just an average day to day life presentation I guess yeah <laughs> which is what which is the life that you guys all live and want to see represented which is is not. It's not outrageous or even like any way ridiculous to want to expect that to be the norm, which mm. is really deeply concerning that it, it still isn't. It all contributes to this very kind of Western induced idea of the model minority, which benefits white supremacy. If you pit minorities against each other, then you're going to still reign on top. And so if you say that Asian Americans, look, they managed to do it, they're doing well, you know, as we see in crazy rich Asians, why can't you be just like this? It creates such a kind of battlefield between the minorities in the sense that you're kind of heralding all of these minorities as the ideal. And that's kind of one problem I had with crazy rich Asians is because, you know, I mean, as much as it was nice to have a film in which I could relate to a lot of the things, you know, they went to Singapore and they had Hawker Street food and that made me very happy, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, it was still contributing to this model minority myth and that is fundamentally kind of constructed to benefit white supremacy. Mm. It's, it's fascinating and it's it's so interesting hearing you guys talk about it from, from your own real experiences as well yeah no you're, you're completely right Hannah um and it is it always it always does come back to um this idea <laughs> of orientalism orientalism I can never say it um <laughs> Saeed's uh Edward Saeed speaks about it in imperialism and orientalism which is such a good um book theoretical um Sorry. <laughs> yeah of <laughs> everything everything that I consume and everything that I read um you know whether it is sort of gendered or, or racial or gender and race because they obviously intersect um goes back to the consolidation um the white imperial civilized man and the exoticized sensual um uncivil other woman um and it's it's something that I think we are slowly trying to unpack and we're slowly trying to move away from these uh, binaries or these little compartments that we have been positioned in or um, fed and thereby consumed and thereby we operate, thereby we operate in, in these little like sim symbols. Um, and it's something that I think we are trying to break out of um, and, you know, for instance, even something like Mick Sock that accepts that there is such a like messy relationship that we have with, with um, identity and with ethnicity and nationality and language and food and, and all of these things that are such a confusion, a source of confusion, but also a source of um, like love and unity and community for us um, to be able to talk about. Um, and I was, also wondering if you guys um, had like any recommendations of like anything that that, that has helped right now in, in this period or, or maybe 
um, outside of this period um, that has kind of helped you feel accepted or helped you feel represented, whether it be something in like social media or film or kind of um, something you've seen that has, yeah, has kind of bolstered and uplifted um, your feeling of identity right now. I know what Emma's gonna say. I was not gonna say that because it's too embarrassing. There's this like French cartoon. It's a kid's show. And it's about this like half Chinese, half French girl who's a superhero. And it just portrays like the half Chinese experience so well. And yeah, Hannah and I watched it over quarantine. And we were just so impressed with how they um how they sort of integrated her Chineseness into the background. Um, instead of making it something that sort of like they, they didn't say, oh, like, I have all these values of honor and family. They just kind of have it in the background and just treat it as completely a normal thing. Um, it sometimes influences the plot, but it's not, um, it's not at the forefront of every episode. Like, it's not thrust into your face that she's Asian all the time. And I think that's so necessary to just have it normal to be Asian. That sounds amazing. I really want to watch that. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> that after like I already got so excited that Hannah existed, who is English Chinese Malay. Like this is this is next level for me. No, it really is exciting when you like meet someone or see something that kind of, you know, you ref that you resonate with in like, you know, seeing yourself in that thing or that person is just really, really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched a lot of um, K-dramas yeah. recently, especially last year. Uh, in the first uh, lockdown, I binge-watched, like, at least, what, a series a week, if not a day. Um, and it was just nice because it was, I think, just as Emma said, it wasn't thrown in your face because, obviously, these, are, these were produced by East Asian uh, directors and actors where it's not really kind of... You don't, they don't have to think about it it's just how they are how they live so it's not kind of you know oh I am so East Asian oh you know we've got to get in those family uh, <laughs> traditions etc you yeah. know we have to appeal to the minority because you know they're the majority <laughs> and that, that was quite nice just to kind of watch these kind of silly plot lines and see my faces in in the characters it's just so nice when you don't have to think about it like you don't have to think about um how it's influencing the character that they're Asian because it's sort of escapist because you have to think about how your Asianness influences you every single day yeah. so it's really like nice and you can kind of treat it as an escapist thing to see a show where they don't think about their Asianness and it's just completely normal that they're Asian no I think that's yeah, it is. It must be so refreshing to just see something that is naturalized. And like the number of times where I've been watching like an American film, and I'm almost like waiting for them to tick all the boxes right. Like I'm, I'm like, oh, here's the protagonist. He's white. Here's the other protagonist. His love. <laughs> okay, let's. Oh, that that's the best friend. He's black. Oh, that's the classmate. He's like vaguely like Pan Asian of some kind. Oh, wow, <laughs> a diverse cast. Like. <laughs> Yeah. The worst thing recently I've seen is um Emily in Paris. Like just so bad. Oh my god, I've heard about this actually. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it, but um We've it... spoken so much about Emily in Paris without ever seeing Emily in Paris on this podcast. It's, it's, it's never really good things, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's got a bad reputation from this podcast, but Again, we have never seen it, so don't take our word for it. But um, speaking of film, however, I know we've spoken about this a lot. Um, but how excited were we when Chloe Zhao was nominated for a Golden Globes, and then I think went on to she's been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, Oscar. Have Oscar. So excited! It's amazing. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm so so happy, and um, not just not just breaking one boundary, but breaking so many boundaries. Yeah, a female Asian director. Um, 
since then I've joined like a I think it's a East Asian film group on on Facebook and they post all kinds of like cool films you can watch um on movie and stuff and I'm like I'm so psyched to like get through them every every week um because it does yeah even just seeing women who are in careers or thresholds outside of what the uh, minority myth permits is mm-hmm. incredibly encouraging like I I I don't know about you guys but I've never really seen Asian creatives represented properly and it's been a huge frustration in terms of like writing and poetry and like I remember when I when I did the poems for Vigil Emma was like you just it's so difficult it's so difficult to find female writers and you know the same goes for like film directors or cinematographers um and it is incredible and just like heartening to go like okay no it is done like it it is a thing um and it's really really lovely to uh, see that that pathway has been carved out and is, is committing to, to more more people. In terms of music, um, an artist that I've been really um, excited about and enjoying has been Rina Sawayama. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard about her, but she recently campaigned really hard against the Brits to allow for um, um, people like her to be able to qualify because she was born and raised in the UK, but she doesn't have like British citizenship or something like that. And so she was campaigning really hard to like, you know, be able to qualify. And that just kind of paved the way for other people um, who are in similar situations. And her music is absolute fire. Yeah, okay. Need to create a resource bank after this with all of these great, great artists. And you can find all of those resources on our new Instagram page for the podcast. Uh, which will be linked in the bio somewhere. The only last shout I would say on the topic of Instagram is uh, if anyone's looking for kind of communities or Asian communities to support on Instagram, if you go on bc.n, so that's B-E-S-E-A dot N, it's Britain's East and South East Asian Network. Um, that's just a movement kind of championing Asian voices. Um, and they just do so many links to like campaigns or infographics or British Chinese businesses at the moment, um, British Chinese creatives that are so refreshing and lovely um, to see on my newsfeed at the moment. So definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, this was a really, really rewarding episode. Um, and so so lovely to have all you guys from Mixsock here um guys make sure you stay tuned to any of Mixsock's events in the future hopefully once restrictions are lowered we'll be able to have more oh my gosh can you imagine the bubble tea trips oh (laughs) too good um yeah thank you guys so much we will make sure to tag Mixsock in everything that comes out around this podcast as well so you should be able to find them really easily been amazing thank you thank you all for being so honest and and spending time with us today and thank you chloe as well for for always kind of championing important things um if you if you are a fan of the podcast go and check out chloe's instagram and the post chloe did in response um to the shootings in atlanta in particular i think it's, yeah, I it's highly recommend. Yeah. very very poignant um and very well articulated um yeah i i'm always always proud to be her friend but particularly proud um on that day thank you so much for joining us as always i've been lauren i've been chloe and we have been the female gaze we'll see you next week Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.